we can turn back to the chapter we read, Luke 18, and we can think together about the passage, verses 9 uh, to 14. We'll just reread it. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke tells us at the start of his gospel that he um, spent a fair bit of energy and discovering what to say. And he says he had followed all things closely for some, some time past. And I suppose if it was um, possible to interview him, we might want to ask him, what struck you as you did all your research? And I suppose lots of different answers could be given to that question. But I think what he might say is Jesus prayed. Because Luke is the gospel writer who tells us that. He tells us that Jesus was praying when he was baptized, for example. It's Luke that gives that detail. And it's also Luke that tells us that Jesus was praying on the Mount of Transfiguration. Even on the cross. It's Luke that tells us that Jesus prayed for the soldiers. So, there's lots of examples of Jesus' own prayers in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke might have said that Jesus also liked to speak about prayer. It wasn't just that he practiced it, because he does describe his gospel as being every, well, in the start of Acts, he says, when he's referring back to Luke, he says, everything that Jesus began to do and teach. So, the one who's teaching about prayer prayed. And of course, he knew how to pray. And here in this um, chapter, we find 
him referring to prayer. And this is the second parable that he does that. In verses 1 to 8, he spoke about um, a woman who was bothering an unrighteous judge, and because of her persistence, she got what he wanted, she got what she wanted. And you know, I mean, some of the Savior's parables, they're really surprising. I mean, would we ever think of using the illustration of an unrighteous judge? But the point of a parable, of course, was to make people wake up. And when we come to the next parable, Pharisee and the tax collector, I mean, why choose them? Why not choose a fisherman and a shepherd? But he doesn't, does he? He chooses a Pharisee and a tax collector. And, of course, we know that the Pharisees were admired. Admired by the public. Every, so, every day in life, people saw them. There they were, standing at the corner, having another prayer. And everybody was seeing that they were praying. So it was um, something that was just part of life. And the tax collector, well, people spent most of their life trying to avoid them. Because if they got a hold of you, your purse would be a bit emptier than it was when you first left the house. And of course, if we heard that somebody was going to speak a parable about the admired Pharisees and the despised tax collectors, what do we think Jesus would say about them? I mean, we're familiar with the parable. So we, it doesn't really say anything to us at times. But, of course, Jesus here is giving a totally different view from what society had of the two types of individuals he mentions. The Pharisee and the tax collector. So I just want us to think about a parable, this parable and see what lessons we can learn from it. I want us to think about some of the things he says about prayer. Similarities between the two individuals. And then I want to think about similarities that the two men had. Because they did have some. And then we can think of the content of the Pharisees' prayer and the content of the tax collector's prayer. And after that, the outcomes. Similarities about prayer. 
And Jesus is teaching about prayer here, so there are some similarities um, that these two men had as they prayed. For a start, both of them wanted to pray, didn't they? I mean, nobody is forcing either of them to go up to the temple to pray. Both of them wanted to pray. And we shouldn't be too surprised by that, really. Because all over the world today, there's millions and millions and millions who want to pray. I'm not talking about Christians only when I say that. Prayer, from a human point of view, prayer happens everywhere. People want to do it. It's an everyday human activity that people pray. And we see that here in this particular parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Both of them wanted to. Of course, it all depends on why they wanted to. But they had this desire to pray. The second thing we can learn about their similarities about prayer is that both of them addressed God as the one who had helped them. I mean, the Pharisee does that, doesn't he? He says to God, I thank you. And then proceeds to list the various things that he thanks God for. He's, he's admitting there that in some way or other, God had helped him not to be like the list of things he goes on to mention. And of course, the tax collector, he had something else in mind, but he still believed that God was the one who could help him. And of course, prayer is something where we believe that only God can help us. And that's taught in this parable. A third similarity between the two of them is that when people pray, they must speak about themselves. Isn't that the case? I mean, who do we speak about when we're praying? Obviously, we can intercede for others, but normally in prayer, the main purpose of it is to tell God about ourselves. And that's what both of them did, isn't it? The Pharisee gives his own self-description, and the tax collector gives his self-description. And that's what we're meant to do in prayer, isn't it? We're actually meant to just to spell out when we go to God where we are and what we need. It's really impossible to have a prayer as normal prayer, I mean, and not mention ourselves. That would be just expected. Ah, there's a fourth similarity between the two men as they go up to pray, and that is they don't want to be interrupted. Both of them choose a spot where no one can interrupt them. 
I mean, prayer is a very serious thing, so they, I mean, one of them chose a spot where he could be seen. But he still chose a spot where he couldn't be interrupted. He wanted to make sure that whatever he was going to say to God, he could say it. And of course, the tax collector did the same thing, didn't he? Went and stood by himself, afar off. And he didn't do that in order to be seen, although the Pharisees saw him. But the man himself, he just, both of them just wanted their own private spot to pray. And that's what they did. So that's four similarities already, isn't it? Both of them wanted to pray. Both of them addressed God as the one who could help them. Both of them spoke about themselves. And both of them didn't want to be interrupted. There's a fifth similarity, and that is our prayers reveal who we are. The Pharisees' prayer, well, it's only as he goes on that we discover what's wrong with him. It's when he starts to, I'm not, he thanks God, I'm not like the tax collector. That reveals his heart. With one phrase, he's just revealed himself. He looks down on the tax collector, doesn't know anything about him. But having made that statement, it's only a parable, of course. But having made that statement, we can see what the Savior's getting at, can't we? Because the reason why he told it was there are those who treat others with contempt. And here it is. The Pharisee, whom we suppose would normally be very intelligent. Here in his prayer, he gives away his heart. And we can see right away what kind of person he is. But as the tax collector, he just has this one-line prayer, which I'm sure he's said repeatedly, But it does tell us his heart, doesn't it? It reveals exactly who he is. And I think Jesus is teaching, isn't he? That our prayers say a great deal about us. They can tell us what our interests are. Or they can tell those who hear us what our interests are. They can tell us what our priorities are. Tell others that too. Because prayer is a kind of experience where you let yourself go. And when somebody does that, who knows what's going to be said? 
So prayer reveals who we are. And the final similarity I just want to mention just now is that Jesus refers to their posture. And he refers to their how they, they stood. There's nothing too surprising about that because that's how Jews would have prayed in the temple. The, at home, they could kneel or sit. But as far as I know, there's no chairs in the temple. You just go there and stand. So the Pharisee and the tax collector, both of them are standing. And in the parable, when people heard that, they would say, well, that's just normal. But then Jesus goes on and talks about how far they could see. And we're told that the, the Pharisee, he, as it were, was lifting up his eyes. But there's a contrast made between the tax collector and the Pharisee. And again, there's nothing unusual in that. It was normal for Jews when they prayed to lift up their eyes to heaven. What's unusual about this particular parable is that one of the people praying didn't lift his eyes up to heaven. But all he did was beat upon his breast. And of course, which of them saw the furthest? Was it the one looking up to heaven that saw the furthest? Or was it the one looking down? The tax collector. Well, Jesus makes very clear it was a tax collector who saw the furthest. He saw the furthest in the way and he saw the furthest out the way. He saw into his heart, really down into his heart, far further than the Pharisee saw. But he also saw up the way even if he didn't look up the way. He saw up to heaven and what the God of heaven could do. So that's six similarities in this parable. It's a parable about prayer. It's a parable about how to pray and how not to pray. So both of them wanted to pray. Both of them addressed God as the one who could help them in some way. They spoke to God about themselves. They didn't want to be interrupted. But their prayers revealed exactly who they were. And even their posture said something. So that's similarities about the prayer. But then there's similarities between the two men. And if 
we were to suggest that to the average person in Jerusalem, they would have said, there's no similarities between them. But there's at least four similarities. I'd just like to mention them. Both of them, as they go up to pray, are in a state of condemnation. Aren't they? Which of them is converted as they start to pray? Neither of them. Both of them at this, at the start of the parable, and it is a parable, we're not to expect to meet the tax collector in heaven, although we are to expect to meet many like him. But in the parable, both of them are in a state of condemnation. They're outside the kingdom, condemned, because every person is. They've been, they weren't really true believers when they started to, before they prayed, so that means they were in a state of condemnation. And that's a very profound similarity. A second similarity between the two of them is that both of them were sinful since birth. You would never tell that from the Pharisee's prayer, would you? But yeah, he had been sinful since birth. There hadn't been a day in his long religious life in which he hadn't showed the fact that he was a sinner from birth. He probably showed that reality in lots of different ways, especially through his pride and so on. But that similarity is there both of them were sinners since their birth. Since their conception, really, as we sang about from Psalm 51. The tax collector, he's beginning to discover that. That having said that, the similarity is still there. Both have been sinful since birth. A third similarity between them is that each of them had chosen their own path in life. The Pharisee, he decided to be a Pharisee. The tax collector, he decided to be a tax collector. In the parable, Jesus doesn't tell us how long each of them have been practicing their own chosen career, but there they were, both of them had chosen their path in life, and that makes them similar. Even though the options that each had chosen was miles apart. But they were still similar, weren't they? And a fourth similarity between the men as they go up to the temple to pray is that both of them adhere to the same religion. I mean, that's why they're going to the temple, isn't it? I mean, if you'd asked either of them who God is, both of them would have said he's the God of Israel. Both of them would have said he's the God who did wonderful things at the Exodus. He's the one who has guided our people all down through history. The number of things he's done for us is incredible, both of them would have said. Each of them's an Israelite. 
The Pharisee may not like his fellow Israelite, but that can't change the fact that he is a fellow Israelite. So there are lots of similarities between them. Sometimes we look for the differences. And obviously that's appropriate because we're going to think of some of them now. But it's quite useful before we think of differences to think of similarities. Because merely focusing on differences has got the danger of thinking a lot about ourselves. For then when we remember what we have in common, that kind of equalizes things. So there was a lot of similarities between these two men. But then something happened to reveal the crucial difference. And we'll just think about that now. There's the content of the Pharisee's prayer. What can we say about his prayer? Well, it focused on the external, didn't it? He gives a whole list of things, but all of them are external. We can see what he says there. He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. Nor is he like this tax collector who he probably thought was a thief because of what he charged with his extra interest and so on. And he also said that he fasted twice a week. Pharisees have made up that requirement. And he gave tithes of all that he had. But all that he's doing there is focusing on the external. He doesn't say a word about his heart, does he? And in addition to focusing on the external... He's very selective in what he says. Everything he says about himself is good and commendable. If there's nothing wrong, obviously, with not being an extortioner and not being unjust and not being an adulterer, and if you want to live according to the religious requirements of the time, but what about the other things in his life? He doesn't say anything about his home. He doesn't say anything about vast areas of his life. He's very selective. And he's also, as we can see at this prayer, that he's self-confident. He is self-confident that God is pleased with him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be listing all these features of his life. And he's self-confident that he's not like the tax collector. A man that he knows nothing whatsoever about. But he's prepared to say in his pride, I'm better than him. His self-confidence, we might say, has made him blind 
And we're not too surprised, are we, when Jesus talks about Pharisees? That's how he describes them. Blind Pharisees. This man thought he saw everything that was important about himself. And in reality, he saw nothing important about himself. All he could list was a few things, a few features, that tells us nothing whatsoever about him, except that he likes to use the word I. His prayer is not a prayer. Instead, his prayer is a speech he makes to God. A speech to God as to why God should help him. And since that is what he's doing, he's not praying. He's in the posture of prayer. He even starts off thanking God but then he forgets all about God and just speaks about himself imagine the people hearing this but of course they would have to say wouldn't they because of what they had seen of Pharisees that is all true None of these things was hard for them to see. They had seen it every day, although it might not have clicked until Jesus pointed it out. Prayer, at least his prayer, tells us everything about him. But then there's the content of the tax collector's prayer. And what does it say about his understanding of where he is? Well, we can see that one thing he says in his short prayer is he knows he's a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As a Recognizing that he's a sinner, the word sinner just means to fall short. The other man praying here in the parable didn't think he fell short in anything. He just managed to do it all perfectly. But this tax collector, he knew he fell short. And of course, that's what a sinner is. Someone who falls short of God's requirements. As I'm sure we all know, it's been likened to a man firing an arrow, aiming for the bull's eye, hitting the bull's eye is perfection. It doesn't matter if you miss by an inch or miss by a mile, you've fallen short. And we might think, if we only miss it by an inch, well, we must be better than those who miss by a mile. But as far as attaining perfection is concerned, 
were not any better. We just haven't gone as far away as the other person. But all of us are far enough away to be a sinner. You know, and it's, it's a great thing to discover that one is a sinner. Because when somebody says that, they've actually discovered who they are. All these other things that that man listed, they're irrelevant. They don't say anything about him, really. But when this tax collector calls himself a sinner, he says everything. And since he knew he was a sinner, he would know he'd be heading for God's judgment. I mean, why is he so apprehensive? I mean, everybody's a sinner. Why is he so apprehensive? Because he knows where his sin is going to take him. And where is our sin going to take us? Where is that list of sins that the Pharisee mentions? Where are they going to take him? They're going to take him to the judgment seat. And that's where all our actions are going to take us. None of us have ever done anything perfect. The whole list that we're going to present on the day of judgment is marked by falling short. And this man knew that when he said he was a sinner. And the fact that he said he was a sinner indicated the Holy Spirit had been working in his heart. Because what's the first thing the Holy Spirit does? He convicts us of our sins. The sins that they believe not in me. Of course, that happens after Jesus has died, but still the principle's the same. It's the Holy Spirit that shows somebody they're a sinner, who lets them see that they have fallen short of God, God's will. And that is an awful thing to fall short. It's not a slight blip in our experience. It's something that's going to have horrendous consequences unless something is done about it. But this man knows what to do about it. When he prays for mercy, he's not asking God to be kind and considerate like the normal word for mercy indicates. He's not asking God to show compassion. Although there'd be nothing wrong if he had asked God to show compassion. But that's not what the word mercy that's used here means. He's not saying to to God, be compassionate to me. The word that's translated mercy means to be propitiated. And that tells us a lot about his understanding of God. He's saying to God there in the prayer, God, 
be propitious to me, a sinner. Where is he? He's in the temple. What happens in the temple? Sacrifices are offered all the time to deal with God's anger against sin. This man knows it's just a ritual that's gone on. But he knows it's a ritual pointing to what's true. And he's saying to God, I know you're angry with sinners. But I also know there's a way for you to be propitiated. And of course, the the one who would make the propitiation is actually telling the story. But God's anger, what do we think of it? God's anger. How about where Paul writes to the Ephesians and says to them that before they were converted, they were children of wrath. God's wrath is not God losing his temper. It's not mean that life drifts along for him. And now and again he gets roused. His wrath is his ongoing opposition to sin. And it includes his determination to punish it. And if you and I are Christians, prior to our conversion, that's where we were. We weren't somehow in a third group, just waiting to be delivered. We were the children of wrath, even as others. What if we are not Christians? What do we say about God's anger? How about the verse in the psalm which says, God is angry with the wicked every day? It doesn't say he's angry with the terribly wicked. But just that he's angry. And of course, when somebody's angry, it all depends on who he is doesn't it? And if God is angry, then we're in trouble. But then, when we believe in Jesus, then these wonderful words in Isaiah 12 become true. For God tells us what to say. Because he says to them, you will say, in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. So the angry God, because a propitiation has been made, his anger can be turned away.
and this man, that's what he's praying for. He's basically, well, we know he's saying this. It's only a parable. So the man didn't actually say it. But we can see in what he actually says that he is longing for Jesus' sacrifice to become real. Because the sacrifice of Jesus is where God's anger was turned away. He's telling God, I need atonement. And of course, that's what the Apostle John says, doesn't it, about Jesus? That he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. He's big enough to deal with all the sins that make God angry. It's an incredible prayer, isn't it? This man has never seen the mercy seat in the temple. He knows it's there, but he's never seen it. And he probably knows that the mercy seat in the temple is inadequate. But he also, or at least we should know, that's a picture of something. The mercy seat is God's throne. That's where he sits, governing Israel on the Ark of the Covenant. How does he want to govern? What is his point number one in his manifesto? He wants to govern. Point number one is he wants to show mercy. Because now Jesus has paid the penalty. And he now sits what the Ark of the Covenant pointed to with the mercy seat. He now sits on it dispensing mercy. And that's a good thing to pray for, isn't it? God be merciful. As you sit on the throne of mercy, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's the outcome? Well, Pharisee went down and changed. And of course, that's a proof that he didn't pray. Because the one thing that can be said about real prayer is that it changes the petitioner. But the tax collector. He went down to his house justified. We can put it this way. The sinner who justified himself, that's the Pharisee, went down unjustified. But the man who made no attempt to justify himself, he went down justified. 
We know what justification is. Stop in a minute. God, when we pray to him, ask him for mercy, what does God do? What does he do when he responds? Well, he pardons us. That's wonderful, isn't it? God pardons all our sins. Jesus paid the penalty on the cross. That's amazing. Whole list of sins. If this tax collector had started to list them, I don't know where Jesus was when he made this parable, but whatever town he was in, every person in it would have something against the tax collector. But because he prayed for mercy, all his sins are forgiven. Now, at the same time, when we're justified, God reckons to our account the perfect life of Jesus. Extraordinary, isn't it? This, Jesus just says about this man, he went home justified. A completely changed person. Looked exactly the same. But his status had changed. And because he's justified, he's exalted. He's exalted because he can... How higher can you get? God is forgiven. We're accepted. That's two men at prayer. We've got lots of things to teach us. Both their similarities and their differences. And if the two men had existed, where would they be tonight? That's the real question, isn't it? Where would they be? The justified man, the man that God justified, would be in heaven. The one who justified himself would be in a lost eternity. And it's all connected to prayer. So may we pray for the right thing. Shall we pray?